Uh, if you want to take your Bibles, let's go to Mark, uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to speak very transparently with you that uh, when it comes to the matter of uh, having a soul consciousness or being sensitive to the fact that people around me are in need of Christ, that's one of the areas that can grow cool the fastest. And it's something I know the Lord, I need, I need to be continually reminded of that. Here in Matthew chapter 9, was, we're going to read verses 35 through 38, and where the Lord is speaking to uh, His disciples there. And I believe we're going to talk tonight about one of the Lord's greatest challenges when it comes to the issue of world missions. Here in Matthew chapter 9, if you look at verse 35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, we do thank you very much for this privilege of being in church tonight. I hope, Lord, now even more than ever we can value and appreciate what it means for us to be gathered together and assembling together. And I pray, would you please bless this time. I pray you give me the words to say and please use me, Lord, uh, to be able to communicate your truths. And I pray, use us, uh, use this time, Lord, to speak to our hearts and help us uh, that we'd be stirred up and we would be challenged uh, and encouraged. And I ask you for your blessing on this time in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Here in this, uh, I, I, I I'll say this is by way of introduction. I believe that we should ask we should ask the Lord the same thing that the Apostle Paul asked in Acts 9 when he said, Lord, what, he said, what wilt thou have me to do? Because the truth of the matter is that God wants everybody involved in missions somehow. Uh, we understand that uh, being in a local New Testament church that you can be involved by praying for missionaries. Absolutely. Uh, I have never appreciated prayer for missionaries near so much as being on the receiving end of it. I can tell you that much. Uh, we put out prayer letters and ask people to pray for us. And I have repeatedly seen God answer those prayers. And so don't take lightly the great great privilege and responsibility that we have to pray for missionaries. But not only that, to be involved financially. But, in, 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 but in, it goes beyond that as well. You see, because missions truly is multifaceted. I don't know about you, but sometimes I like to put things in boxes. And the funny thing about missions is that it doesn't all fit in one box. Because it's, it's global, but it's local. It's financial, but it's also a matter of the heart. It's corporate, but it's also personal. You notice how it's, it, I, we, I told you about that in our, in, our, in, you know, our presentation about the man who came and preached that missions conference. Probably one of the best I'd ever been to as far as a missions conference because he preached and he touched on so many different facets of missions. And what we sometimes like to do is be involved in one part of that. If you've got a pie with a bunch of different pieces of that pie, we'll grab one piece of that pie and we'll say, I'm involved. And that's true. But there's so much more that we can do to be involved in missions. And so we're going to look at that a little bit here. Tonight we're going to explore this idea, one of the Lord's greatest challenges in regards to missions. Uh, the first thing we see here in this text is our supreme pattern. And that is, of course, the person of Jesus Christ. He, look there in verse 35. It says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Part of the, one of the things we see about our pattern in Christ is He went to everyone. He went to everyone. 
all the cities and all the villages. And, and he went about to all the cities and villages, and he went everywhere. Why? Well, truthfully, because 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In Acts 5.42, it says, And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. In, what is it, Mark 16.15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And God wants every single person to have the opportunity to hear the gospel so they can believe on Christ. We know that not everyone will believe on Christ, but I will say this affirmatively. If a person never hears how to be saved, they won't be. If a person never hears the presentation of the gospel, they never hear how to be born again, they can't be. Meaning if they never hear, they will go to hell and they'll never have an opportunity. And now I, you, you might be shocked to think here in the United States of America that somebody could go two decades without hearing the gospel, but that's me. I grew up in Idaho. Uh, I'd been around a little bit, but for the most part, lived in Idaho. And I got news for you. I never heard a clear presentation of the gospel until I was in my early 20s. Don't take for granted the person that you meet at the grocery store, the clerk or the gas station, wherever it may be. Don't take for granted that they already know how to be saved. There's probably many people around here, even in this city, that have never, they don't know for sure how to be born again. I can't remember if it's 1st or 2nd Corinthians. There's a verse where the Apostle Paul writes to them and he says, he says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He's saying, hey, in that bustling port city of Corinth, there are still some people who have not heard the gospel. And he says, for that, you ought to be ashamed of yourselves. Because we know that it is the mission of the local New Testament church to reach people with the gospel. That's, that's what we do here. We reach people with the gospel. And so that's one of the first things we can see about our pattern is that he went to everyone. Next, he taught and he preached. In verse 35 there again, he says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And so he, he incorporated both teaching and preaching. In John 20, 20, 21, he says, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me. Even so, send I you. And so it is our responsibility to do likewise, where we go out and we teach and we preach. And I like to pick on this one here a little bit. Somebody once asked the question, I remember thinking this years ago, what's the difference between teaching and preaching? And I heard somebody once say, well, uh, it's volume. That's the difference between the two. I'm not quite sure I believe, you know, I buy into that. Uh, I've heard some pretty quiet preachers, and I've, I guess you could be a loud teacher if you wanted to, but... The point is, here's the, here's the best definition I've ever heard on that matter, and it's this. Teaching instructs and preaching confronts. Meaning that we have to give people the information, and then truly we need to bring them or draw them to a point of decision. They need to make a decision with that type of information that we give them. Now, I don't know about you, I'm not overly fond of confrontation, but not all confrontation is bad. If you had a person that was walking into the grocery store and they dropped their wallet on the ground and you said, excuse me, sir, what did you do? You just confronted them. And then you say, you dropped your wallet. You just gave them some information that was very helpful to them. That's all we're doing. We're going to confront people with the truth of the word of God and we've got to give them the gospel. That's the only way they'll be saved. That's the only way that people can be saved is if they hear about how to be saved. And so he taught them and he preached to them. That's what he did. And he, as the Father sent me, even so send I you. We, we need to do the same thing. The, the next thing about our, 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 our example in Christ is his attitude towards people. 
Look at verse 36. It says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You see, not only his activity regarding people, but now we see his attitude towards people. Now, I'll be honest with you. Am I the only one in this room that if sometime I've looked up and I've seen the multitudes of people and I've been moved with frustration? Or sometimes I get a little bit upset about the condition of our culture and where we're at as a nation? Sometimes. But Christ, when he looked on the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. And of some having compassion, making a difference. That's the only way we're going to make a difference. I remember there was a time when we were in Pennsylvania on deputation and we were on a hiking trail. Uh, not a lot of people around, but we went for a hike. And when we came back at the trailhead, somehow there was a whole bunch of people there. And you know, they were drinking and smoking and they were not using the best language and they weren't dressed appropriately. And you know what? I was, it was funny because this passage of Scripture kind of came alive to me. It's like, oh, why was it that Christ was moved with compassion? Because when he looked at the multitudes, he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. You see, we need Jesus Christ not only to save our souls so we can go to heaven when we die. We need him to govern our daily lives. We need, to, we need him to teach us how to talk, how to think, how to walk, where to go, how to behave. I assure you this, when I was in my teens, I did not, I did not know how to do that. But my shepherd, my good shepherd has taken good care of me and has taken the time to teach me and work with me and train me. And I got news for you. We can look at the multitudes and be frustrated that they act like lost people. We can do that. Can you believe it? These lost people are acting like lost people. But, but what we can do instead is look at the multitudes and be moved with compassion and say, Ah, but I know a person who can help you with that. You see, I see this young lady over here and she's living her life in such a way. But if she only knew Jesus Christ, she, she would know how he loves her and cares for her and teach her how she can live her life in such a way that glorifies Christ. We were in, we were in uh, another city just a few days ago and I had the same thing happen. I told my wife, I said, this world is wicked. This place is ungodly. And it, it is but I, I, was, I do believe I was moved with compassion on some of the people I came in contact with because I thought, you need Christ because he'll teach you how you can live your life. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to live in sin. He will deliver you from it. The truth shall make you free. And so I gave him tracts and talked to some people as best I could at that time. So his attitude towards them. Now notice this. It was when he what? Saw the multitudes. Like I said earlier, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for the wider already in a harvest. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Not only that, but mine eye hath affected mine heart. I hope sometimes I get so busy with my life that I don't really look at people and where they're at. I just get so busy. And like I said in Jude one twenty two, it says, And some have compassion, making a difference. And that's the only way we're going to make a difference is when we have compassion on them. And like I said, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. People need the Lord. And they act the way they do because they're sheep having no shepherd. And so we see our supreme pattern is Christ. Not only his actions, but also his attitude towards people. And then secondly, we sing the singular problem. Look at verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Now, the laborers are few. That will be one of the truths that stuck out the most to me when I took those short-term missions trips around the world, to Central and South America. 
is the fact that when we went, we went down to Guatemala City and uh, there was a group of us and we took uh, several pallets of John and Romans and Bibles. And that was the intent. We would have a special evangelistic service at the end of the week and then we would uh, you know, give a free Bible to people if they came to that service. But all that week we canvassed and I believe we handed out over 48,000 John and Romans that week. And a person might would say, wow, that's great. And it is. But it was in a city of 2 million people which suddenly seems like a drop in the bucket. The harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. When we went to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, it was to the Olympics, not to watch the Olympics, but to hand out scripture there. We had a booklet that was in, I think, 23 different languages there. So you could hand it to just about anybody to be able to read it in their language. The unique thing about being at the Olympics handing out scripture is this. You could give scripture to somebody from China, Russia, Cuba, Qatar, the Middle East, and you could never go to their country, but they come to the Olympics and you can hand out scripture and give them the gospel. Now, I say we were in a city of 7 million people in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and there was not one independent Baptist church in that entire city at that time. Why? Because the laborers are few. And I could go on. We were in a city in Seguatepeque, Honduras, and uh, we, we, there's 100,000 people in that city. And we canvassed that city with John and Romans with a special service at the end. And the missionary said something to us that week. He said, you folks have done in four days what we could not do in two and a half years. Why? Because the labors are few. The Lord knows what he's talking about. This is the problem. There's, the labors are few. And he said that to him. Now, I believe that that's, there's a couple possible reasons for this. Maybe sometimes that's because of disobedience. You remember Jonah, right? In the Old Testament. Uh, probably not one of my favorite preachers, uh, but he, he, there it says in, in Jonah 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God told him to go and preach. I sometimes ask people, I say, would you put yourself in the same category as Jonah? Most people would say, no, I, I, I'm not like Jonah. But the truth of the matter is, Jonah knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He knew exactly where he was supposed to go. He was supposed to go to Nineveh and he was supposed to preach to them. But Jonah said, no, I'm not going to go down there. I'm going to go the opposite direction. Now, I would ask this question. Do we know what we're supposed to do? He said, go ye in all the world. We know where to go and preach the gospel to every creature. That is not a commission given to missionaries alone or pastors alone, but every born-again child of God is commissioned to give the gospel out. Amen. And so we know where to go and we know what to do. The question is, are we doing it? Because I believe sometimes the reason why the laborers are few is Sometimes it's just straight up disobedience. I'm not going to do that. That's outside my comfort zone. And I oftentimes like to say, well, what about the people who are going to burn in hell for all of eternity? Is that outside their comfort zone? It's our responsibility. I was, I've preached from Ezekiel 33 where it talks about how uh, blood on the hands, about the watchman, the faithful watchman, and how he would warn the people if, if, if war was coming, if the sword was coming. 
And the question would be, if we have blood on our hands, uh, have we warned people properly? And so sometimes it's from disobedience. Now, here's the good news. In Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, but Jonah, it says, uh, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, right? Aren't you glad that God gives us second chances? I'm so glad God gives us second chances. I would love to stand here and tell you, every time the Spirit of God tugged on my heart to give someone the gospel, I obeyed right away. But that is not me. I have times when I have said, not that one, they're scary. Or not that one, they'll think I'm weird, or whatever the case may be. But I I had times, I remember when I went to a church service, and I don't remember what the pastor preached, but I remember he was preaching from Luke 14, and the Spirit of God said to me at that time, he said, you're not giving the gospel to anyone. I said, you're right. I said, but if you'll help me, Lord, I I will do that. And on the way out, I grabbed some tracks and put them in my pocket. And the next day being Monday, I went to the gas station to get a drink, and I left and went out and got in the car. And the Spirit of God said to me, I thought you said you were going to do this. I said, yeah, but if I go back in there now, they'll they'll think I'm weird. And he didn't answer me. So I got out of the car, and I went back inside, and I went up to the clerk, and I said, can I give this to you? It's a gospel track. And she said, sure. And she took it, and she began reading it immediately. And it revealed something in me. I said, Lord, I am terrible at this. And we had a driveway out in the country at that time, and I would walk up and down that driveway praying, saying, Lord, help me to be good at this. I want to obey you. Will you help me? And the Lord said to me, follow me, and I will make you to be fishers of men. If you're not fishing, you're not following. I said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Will you help me? And immediately, the Lord began setting things up for me to be able to get busy about doing that sort of thing. And so I say, I'm glad for second chances that the Lord gives us other opportunities, that he doesn't give up on us the first time we say no, but rather he gives us second chances. And so sometimes I believe the labors are few because of disobedience. Sometimes I believe it's because of distraction. I heard an illustration years ago, and I thought it was good. Uh, it was, the pastor was preaching the message. He said, it's like if he had a fireman, fireman in a firehouse, okay? And then you've got, he says, you've got a couple, three different firemen here. Right? And he says, well, we'll do, let's do it this way. I'm going to give Camden and Ethan and Leora, you come up here. You're a cute fireman. Come here. All right. Yes, my little fireman helpers here. So if I said to my fireman here, I said, okay, uh, this is what we're going to do around the firehouse. I'm going to say to you, okay, Camden, you're going to be responsible for cleaning the pole. Right? The fire pole. You can clean that. All right. And then Ethan, you're going to feed the Dalmatian. You got that? Okay, you've got to feed the Dalmatian, because every good firehouse has got to have a Dalmatian, I guess. And then lastly, we're going to say, all right, Leora, and you're going to make all of us firemen pancakes. You're going to be the pancake person, okay? You got, oh, God, she's a good helper. All right, so you're what? You're buffing the pole. You're going to feed the Dalmatian, and you're making the pancakes, right? Okay, what are you doing? Buff, buffing. buffing the pole, and you're feeding the Dalmatian, and... Making the pancakes. That's so funny. And so we're going to do that, okay? Making pancakes. Now, here's the question I'd ask him. i said, what do you do? And then he would say, he buffs the pole. And then he would say, he, he feeds the Dalmatians. She'd say, well, I make the pancakes. But here's the problem. We're firemen. This isn't a pancake house. Firemen fight fires. Firemen save lives. That's what firemen do. These things are fine, and they may do these things, but that's not the purpose of a firehouse. The same thing is true of a local church. You may fold bulletins. You might run a vacuum cleaner. You might do all kinds of stuff around here, and that's great. 
But that is not the purpose of a local church. The purpose of a local church is to reach people with the gospel. That's what we do. All those other things are fine, but that is not the purpose of a local New Testament church. You guys can sit. Thank you. I say that because sometimes I believe one of the reasons the labors are few is because of distraction. We just get distracted with a bunch of other things. You don't understand. I do the bulletin boards. There's nothing wrong with bulletin boards. But if you say, I do the bulletin boards, but I don't give people the gospel. No, friend. That's not what we exist for. That's not why a church is here. So sometimes it's distraction. I say this, sometimes it's discouragement. Have you ever gone out and tried to get people the gospel and come back empty-handed? You haven't led someone to the Lord in a while? Now, I love this because all kinds of illustrations come to mind. You think about it. If you never go fishing, you won't catch fish. That's pretty simple, wouldn't you say? You've got to put some effort into it. I said, well, I sat at home all last weekend on the couch and I didn't catch one fish. Right. You've got to go fishing if you're going to catch fish. Same thing would be true. You'll never lead someone to Christ if you don't try. Now, I will say that sometimes we get discouraged because uh, it can be difficult. You go out and you try and you try and you try and it just doesn't seem like it's working. Now, the Bible says in Galatians 6, 9, it says, And let us not be wary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap. If you faint not, that's a promise from God. Now, part that can get discouraging is this. You know this. There is a season of time between reap or sowing and reaping. You can go throw seed out on the ground, but it's ridiculous to think that you're going to be reaping a harvest the very next day. That's ridiculous. And so what happens, I heard a preacher do this once. It was great. If you had a big old bag like they used to, right, where you could throw seed. And let's say we got grass seed. Okay. And here I am, I'm going to throw this grass seed out. And everywhere I go, and we know that from the Bible, the seed is the word of God. But I got that seed and I'm throwing it out everywhere I go. And I'm throwing it out in the parking lot. And I get out and I'm going into the grocery store and I'm throwing it all over the grocery store. And then I, I go into the post office and I'm throwing it all over the post office. Now, f- f- let's be honest, people are going to think you're nuts if you're doing that, right? And that may be true. If you go giving tracks out to everybody that you come across, they're going to think you're a little bit nuts. But here's the truth. Are you going to have some seed that's going to land on stony ground? Absolutely. Is it going to take root? No. But here's the truth. If, the, if you throw seed out long enough, eventually something is going to take root somewhere. And what we do a lot of times is we want to get discouraged and quit and say it's not working. Just keep going because the Bible says ye shall reap if ye faint not. Well, sometimes I believe one of the reasons that we have uh, a lack of labors is because of discouragement. And so the truth is, sometimes it's from disobedience, straight up, nope, I'm not going to do it. Sometimes it's distraction. We get busy with all kinds of other things, and sometimes it's discouragement. And so we need to just stay busy at it. Our supreme pattern is Christ. Our singular problem is a lack of laborers. We need people to be busy doing what God's asked us all to do. Now, the last thing, and we'll focus on this, the Savior's petition. Look at verse 38. He tells his disciples, he says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I believe we're in a church of people that love God. If God came to you and asked you to do something, wouldn't you perk up? You say, whatever you want. You died for me. What would you like me to do? What wilt thou have me to do, Lord? And here you have a petition from our Savior saying, would you pray 
Would you pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask him if he will send forth laborers into his harvest field? That's a good prayer. It's coming from him. He's asking us to do that. We need to be doing that. And I believe that that is one of, the, one of the important things that oftentimes gets overlooked is the simple fact that God wants us to pray for God to send forth laborers into the harvest field. Do you know anywhere in the world where God needs to be sending people? Yes, absolutely. And it's funny because um, we're going to a place of the world where there have been some people that have said, Mexico, come on, can't you go somewhere else? I would, but it'd be wrong because God told me to go there. And I can't help but wonder, do you think it's possible that somebody else in this world has prayed and asked God to send forth laborers to that part of the world? And I happen to be the person that he called on to go there? I would encourage you to follow the Savior's petition here and pray and ask the Lord. Let me ask you some questions in closing. Let me ask you this. Are you teaching and preaching the gospel like our Lord did? Let me ask you this. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Whether it was giving them a tract, sharing your personal testimony opening the Bible, however it was, when's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? When you look on the multitudes, are you moved with compassion? When is the last time you asked the Lord to send forth labors into his harvest field? Are you like Jonah? Are you fleeing from what you know God wants you to do? What do you believe to be the Lord's greatest challenge regarding missions? I believe it happens to be a lack of laborers. Another question, I would like to encourage you to ask the Lord like the Apostle Paul did. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Show me what you want me to do. Now, I'm the kind of kid, when I was growing up, I didn't just want to be, you know, sitting on the bench. I wanted to be in the game. I didn't want to just be in the game. I wanted to be like in the game. And here nothing's changed. Lord, you, I, I want to give financially to missions. I, I share a little story with you. This one's maybe funny, maybe not. But I, when we first started out, we were going to go on deputation, and I had a good job that paid good money. And we're going to quit that job, and we're going to launch out by faith and go on deputation. Had no idea what to expect. Wife and six children, right? No job, going to go out on deputation. And it was probably the first couple, couple weeks of meetings. We had a meeting. We were going to go to be with a friend. He's pastoring in Canada. So we went up there to be with them. And he's telling his, his people... And, and prior to this, my wife and I have been praying, what do we do about giving emissions when you don't have a job? Like, how do you do that? So we, we had been giving a certain amount because had a job. You see this, right? You get the, you get the point here. And then we're not going to have a job. So in my brain, I thought, we'll just do less, right? Well, when the pastor friend of ours was introducing us, he's telling the story to the people of his church and said, when I went out on deputation, he said, the Lord challenged me to give more to missions than before. I sat there and said, well, good for you. That's great. Bless your heart. Wonderful. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? But as I sat there, the Spirit of God began to tug on my heart. Why don't you, what about you? <laughs> now, here's the fun part. Ready? We had just cashed in a retirement, so we had a savings account. And the Spirit of God said, is it really take that much faith to give more than you were before? No, sir. When you put it that way, it does not. And so we did. We increased it. We gave more. And as the story goes, it didn't take very long. My, one of my children ended up in the emergency room, and it was $7,000 for that emergency room visit. Bye-bye, savings account. And then we had to live by faith. Now, I'll tell you this. We haven't missed a lick, and God has taken very good care of us. 
My point in that is this. I want, I want to trust the Lord not only to meet our needs financially so we can give. I, I want to try to do my best to witness to people on a daily basis and hand out tracts. I, I want to improve. I want to do better. Lord, I don't want to sit on the bench. I want to be in the game. And I'm so thrilled he's letting us go to Mexico. And I have no idea what the future holds for us down there as a family. But I know this. I can trust, I can trust him. And I can rest in him knowing that he, he, do, he doeth all things well. And so I want to encourage you. Just ask him, Lord, what will thou have me to do? You have no idea what God can do with your life if you just let him have full control of it. Amen.